2: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is
0: Marion Bartoli.
1: I'm Mats Willander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick
0: Noah. Hi, this is Rachel in Pam Shriver's hometown and Francis Tiafo's home state, Baltimore, Maryland. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
2: Well, hello and welcome to the tennis podcast introduced brilliantly there by Rachel in Baltimore, Maryland, 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 Uh, home, of course, as she points out to Pam Shriver. Hello, Pam and Francis Tiafoe and lots of other celebrities. Can anybody name one? I feel like
0: Baltimore is a is a is a celeb hub. All I remember from Baltimore is that it featured as the hometown of the person in Sleepless in Seattle, the Tom Hanks character, because he lived in Baltimore and she lived in Seattle. And apparently they were very far away from one another.
2: Setting of the wire as well. I once spent some time um, on the tarmac at Baltimore Airport, uh, very much unexpectedly and unwelcomely. But that... That wasn't that wasn't Baltimore's fault. It just wasn't my destination <laughs> or my starting point at that at that uh, moment in time. Hello, David. Hello, Matt. How are you?
0: All right. Yes, very well. Thank you. Likewise. Yes, very well.
2: Tennis is happening. It is on the screen behind me here. Carlos Alcaraz is just uh, jogging his way to the net for a coin toss with Dan Evans. Uh, so it's a replay of their very very fun match at the US Open. Don't know whether to expect similar fun today. We'll be able to update you on it over the course of the podcast. (laughs) Um, We have had some results at normal times. We had a final played on a Sunday. What a novelty. Uh, But of course, Shanghai is, it's all over the place. I do not know what round we are in. But whatever tennis has happened, we'll be covering it for you on this tennis podcast. And just before we do all of that, uh, a reminder to you that if you're a friend of the pod, you can enter a prize draw to be in with the chance of winning. And this is an incredible prize package. Semi-final tickets to the Billie Jean King Cup by Gamebridge finals in Seville on Saturday, the 11th of November. The winner gets a pair of tickets for both sessions on that Saturday. You get two nights accommodation and return flights from any EU or UK airport, devastating to have to say EU or UK um, you have until Thursday the 12th of October at 11.59pm UK time to enter the link to do so for friends will be in our newsletter this week and if you're a friend who doesn't get the newsletter, what are you playing at for starters uh, but don't worry you can rectify that terrible situation by writing to us friends at tennispodcast.net and we'll send you the link if you want to buy tickets to the Billie Jean King Cup finals, the link to do so is also in our show notes. And Matt is going to be at the Billie Jean King Cup by Gambridge finals. So you'll also be winning the possible chance of seeing
0: Matt. I'm, I'm very excited to find out what Seville's like, Matt. Have you ever been there before? Because I'm really interested in, to know what that's like as a city.
1: I have never been to Seville no it's probably the one major Spanish city I I haven't been to actually so I'm I'm very excited to go there it's beautiful I believe and hopefully there'll be a bit of time to explore the city it's a great it's a great venue I think kind of like with Malaga for the Davis Cup finals as well the weather should be great in in November still you know sort of mid mid mid-twenties I think so good for any traveling fans it's a it'd be a nice place to be I just think at that time of year
2: it's a tough job Matt's got mm. but someone's uh, got to do it Someone's someone simply got to complete Spain. What uh, a it's hero. Going to be Matt Roberts. <laughs> what a hero he is. Uh, let's head to Beijing, shall we? Which had its final yesterday, won by Iga Sviantek. She beat Lyudmila Samsonova, the inexplicable Lyudmila Samsonova, 6 2 6 2, to win that title, ending Coco Goff's winning streak en route in the semi final, 6 2 6 3. She survived a big battle with Caroline Garcia in the quarterfinals. We'll get onto the Samsonima side of the draw and her route through to the final in a minute, but let's start with Shiontek, who for whom I thought it was a real return to form this week. And I don't mean her recent world number one form. I almost mean her form quite a bit before that, the form that got her to world number one. I felt a lot less anxious watching her this week. I felt like there was a freedom in her demeanour and in her play, which I haven't seen for quite a long time, actually, am I just imagining that, David? Because am I overlaying the fact that I know she's not world number one anymore, and she's relieved of that pressure of being the the hunted rather than the hunter? Am I sort of overlaying my own narrative on it, or is there something there?
0: I I think. It is possible to to overlay a little of how one feels watching somebody who 's no longer world number one who then becomes the chasing part of the chasing pack again and assuming that that is creating freedom in the player 's mind and and demeanor. I think that I do that did that a little bit, but I also think there is something absolutely there in in her demeanor there 's an energy. There is a, a freshness. She seemed revitalized a little and without the weight of the world on her. I did note on Matchpoint she was emotional and then she was ecstatic. It was kind of, oh, goodness me, and then overwhelmed a little. And then suddenly the, the joy came out and she bounced around. And But generally her play did have a freedom to it. And... Uh, because she's she's such an interesting player because of how she's evolved from being this player full of variety th- that people reference when she first came on the tour to suddenly becoming this killer uh, in rallies who just wants to take over and she she was playing big hitters in this tournament and and highly ranked players and she was standing up to the test time after time and um and I did I did enjoy watching her I do think there was less stress watching her because. I think you you know for her that she's not defending now, and it's it it is a different mentality, and I think it has just given us something, a new look, a new vantage point to have a go at. And blimey, she came through with flying colours.
2: It's very refreshing, Matt, isn't it, to see players looking fresh during this portion of the season because it's. Let's face it, it's a time of the year that is so defined by players looking various degrees of jaded and having various degrees of motivation, quite frankly. And it's always interesting, quite often you'll see players that have had an injury layoff at some point in the season looking really motivated and refreshed and hungry because, you know, their canister is less depleted than others. And obviously for Svjantek, she's got, the season has a completely different complexion on it for her to what everything that came before it has and i just i i really enjoyed that this week seeing her look so hungry and fresh because you know full disclosure i i find this time of the season hard i'm looking for reasons to really care and i'm looking for reasons to to watch other than the fact that i i i make a tennis podcast um and that sounds awful doesn't it i i mean i really do love the sport but sometimes the the lack of the lack of vibes it it gets to me um so i i thank igishvonteck this week for injecting some zing to it mm. all
1: yeah that's a that's a great word for it zing is is, is very much what igishvonteck had on on the court this year well this week in in Beijing and I remember the night she lost to Ostapenko at the US Open and we knew she would be losing her world number one ranking we we had a debate on the podcast what, what way is this going to go for Igor Shviontech now is losing number one which has you know meant a lot to her and she's carried that role so well for I think over 70 weeks she held that ranking um, is that going to be a big downer for her is she going to really struggle to find motivation again or is it going to completely free her up and make her go again and I think in her words it's she's kind of been through the process of both of those things already she said she was really down about losing the number one ranking and perhaps that contributed to her bad performance the other week when she lost to Kuda Matova she still st- still said she was not in a great place she was still sort of coming to terms with being number two again And but it seems like through Beijing she really found a motivation of okay I'm number two that means there's things that I can work on things that I can get better at and there was a freshness that had sort of been been missing I would say for for quite a while to her game and just as just as David said the fact that it wasn't just that she was winning these matches, it was the way she was winning, I think was so impressive. You know, there was lots of great tennis in in matches you would absolutely expect her to win against, you know, Magda Lynette and Vavaro Gracheva. Like, we know that Iga Svantec can go out there and blitz those opponents and, and be brilliant. But it was the matches, the final three that she played against Caroline Garcia, Coco Goff and Ludmilla Samsonova, I just thought were just signs that Svantec was kind of back to her best this week because Garcia, it was such a high-quality match, probably the best match, well, definitely the best match I've watched since the US Open, for sure. They were both playing really, really well. Great to see Garcia playing well again. And I've often watched Svantec in these matches against big hitters recently and just been struck by how many unforced errors Igor Svantec will make. Like, Like she's trying to take the big hitters on at their own game and suddenly it can just sort of all run away from her. And i I'm, I'm always been a bit curious. I'm like, you've you've got more in your game than that. You don't need to be necessarily trying to out-hit these players all the time. And against Garcia, she had that totally under control, even though she really had to battle to win. And then in the final against Samsonova, Full disclosure: I was I was cursing the Buffalo Bills at the time. I, I didn't watch this match live. Had to had to go back and watch it this morning. But David sent through the stats, and it had a big fat zero next to Igor Stiantech's unforced error count. And honestly, I thought that that just has to be some kind of terrible mistake. You know, you you can't go through two sets playing the way Igor Fiontek so often does, and not hit a single unforced error. So, so I watched it this morning with, you know, sort of whizzing through it, and I, I made a sort of count myself. And if I was being really harsh, I would say there was maybe a couple that I personally would have put down as unforced errors. That obviously is a quite a subjective um, stat, really, isn't it? You know, what's, where, where's an unforced error and where's an error? But generally, absolutely, it was so noticeable how Svantec had changed tactics against the big hitters this week and decided that, no, she doesn't need to try and out-hit them. She can rally with them. She can force them to make the errors. And that was just really refreshing to see. Almost like a, almost like a clear-mindedness has, has come over her and, and her game. And maybe that's tied in with with, yeah, what we're talking about in terms of her now being number two rather than number one and just having having something to prove again and having to find new ways to win. Yeah, it's it, I think it's all related. And then the other win, obviously, against Coco Goff in the semifinals just felt like a reversion to the first seven Goff-Film matches that we that we became so used to seeing. And, of course, it all changed before the US Open when Goff got that win, but... Shviontek reminded everyone, I think, why she's dominated that rivalry in the past, and she was brilliant in that match as well. So, just just a really good week for Igor Shviontek, and great to see because, yeah, it's it's sometimes been a it's not been a bad year at all for Igor Shviontek. It's been an amazing year, you know. She's I think she's won back to uh, five titles in a season, back to back now, two two years in a row. First player to do that since Serena about nine or ten years ago. So it's you know, it's been consistently very good. It's just the experience of watching her sometimes hasn't always been quite so sort of easy as it always used to be. And I think this week I just felt calm watching her like she had it all under control and it was great to see.
2: I feel like a bit of a, a theme of this week's pod is going to be matchups. Uh, and head to heads, and just before we get into the Samsonova side of things, j- just on what you said there about Shiontek and, and Goff, it, it, that match up being a reversion to their previous head to heads. Do we expect that to continue? Is Cincinnati going to end up being the anomaly, and maybe they'll be the odd other anomaly throughout their careers, or do you think you know next time it could? Do you do, do you expect the the relay, the the baton to be passed back and forth. What do we think, David?
0: Or Matt? Anyone? Well, I I don't expect it to be passed back and forth unless Coco Goff can make some quite big improvements or sviantec's level generally to drop because I think match-wise, I don't think it was an accident. I don't think seven matches, 14 sets in a row was, was any sort of accident. Um and I don't think Coco Goff winning the US Open and having that excellent run changes that in a in a really material way. I don't know what you think, Matt, but but I just feel like there is a reason for it. They they don't match up well from a Coco Goff perspective. I think she did a, a very good job to to win that one. She did win. But there's not really anywhere to hide with that forehand unless you're able to loft it and, and and so forth and it is it is bizarre to think that Svantec got hammered by Ostapenko the way she did and then Goff just completely diffused and messed up the game of Ostapenko the next round and who knows what would have happened had they met but matchup wise it just feels like one of those to me.
1: Mm. Yeah I agree I, I think I'd be a bit surprised if it you know, if, if the next seven were all straight set to win for Igor Shviontech, like we saw at the start of their rivalry, I do think, as David said, they'll have some some closer matches, but I, I do see Sviontek sort of dominating overall. And yeah, I mean, Coco Goff winning winning the US Open was not about her suddenly finding a level that was the same level as peak Igor Sviontek. You know, it was it was about her toughing through a lot of reset matches and, and she did that this week as well until she got to Sviontek, and it was about hiding weaknesses when she could and ex- accentuating her strengths and the match up with Sviontek just doesn't allow her to do that in in quite the same way and um, you know so I think absolutely I think Igor Svantec still feels very comfortable in that match up with, with Coco Goff despite the one win that Goff had um, and it's it's I don't think I'm ever going to look at it in quite the same way that I used to now that at least Goff has got a win. Like, we know it's possible. I won't be dreading that matchup. Like, I was excited for it this week and I will be again. But I think it was a reminder this week that, no, no, it's what is it now? 8 1 to, to Igor Sviantec. Just, just because Coco Goff had won the most recent one before this, the dominance really is with, with Sviantec in that matchup.
2: Some sort of a beat. Rabatkina in the semis, Rabatkina having beaten Sabalenka in the quarters, that is uh, four straight wins for Samsonova over Rabatkinah. Why does Rabatkina have a Samsonova problem? I mean, why is Samsonova? Why anything <laughs> Samsonova?
0: Um, but specifically here, uh, why does Rabatkina have a Samsonova problem? I was really surprised by that head-to-head. I, I was watching that match and and it kind of was referenced mid-match. I didn't actually know about the lopsidedness of that head-to-head until the commentator mentioned it. And I thought, I actually went and looked it up because I I couldn't quite believe it because I don't think of Rebecca having a problem with anybody. I kind of feel like her game can adapt to anyone, whether she can beat Shvante, she can. we know she can beat Sabalenka, who she, she overcame in the round before that. And I just feel as though... What's to go wrong with, with Rebecca and his game, really, against anybody? And so it, well, it was quite jarring to see the, uh, the... There were some competitive matches in there, but they, all four have gone the way of Samsonova, who I watch and never feel anything particularly strongly about. I never, I'm never, i never quite sure what is it she's doing that is getting her to these positions. Truth is, she's absolutely hammering the living daylight sound of the ball. But that's no great shakes in professional tennis a lot of players can do that i think the relentlessness of the way she does it um, and the way she sort of goes through the court with pretty flat strikes and she's she's not quite as hit and miss as as um ostapenko for instance uh, there's there's more consistency to her in that and she was really hurting rebecca with the drop shots she must have hit five drop shots And completely bamboozled Rabakina, who, again, I don't think of as a poor mover. She just didn't seem to read them, didn't set off in time. Um, The same shot wasn't working at all in the final for Samsonova. But honestly, I really am struggling to find out why Rabakina hasn't solved that conundrum yet, because I think she's that good she should be. The only thing I can say is that I watched Rabakina against Andreeva a couple of rounds earlier, and she was 6-2, 4-2 down, and actually went... I saw that live score and made a note to go back and watch it. I watched it yesterday and expecting Andreva just to be playing this light, sour tennis. She wasn't really. She was playing within herself and Rebecca was just hitting all over the place, just hitting long so many times. And then she managed to get her margins in and and win the match. I don't actually feel that Rebecca played very well last week, but I, I can't give you the reasons for the lopsidedness of that rivalry, because like you, I don't really understand Samsonov. I don't really understand how she's doing, what she's doing She should have lost to Marta Kostyuk two rounds earlier, she was a double breakdown in the final set, and I'm, I, was, I was working while that match was on, and that, that seemed so unlikely that she would come back, and I feel like I'm probably not giving her credit by, by the way I'm describing her but I don't really get her either
1: Yeah, that- there's this weird sort of rock, paper, scissors thing going on with the fact that Samsonova beats Robatkina, Rabatkina beats Sviontek, and Sviontek beats Samsonova. And as you said, it's just the beauty of, of tennis matchups, really. I was I was struck watching Rabatkina Samsonova by the number of times that Samsonova was rushing Rabatkina off the serve. Like Rabatkina would hit quite a good serve and Samsonova would just be on it immediately and and just sort of be immediately putting Rabatkina on the back foot. You you rarely see Rabatkina on the back foot but you know the sort of breakdown of winners unforced errors in that match was Samsonova had way more winners and way more unforced errors which you know you can probably read too much into those stats sometimes but I think it did just say that Samsonova was the one dictating and normally in a Rabatkina match she's the one dictating and for some reason she just doesn't seem to be able to do it against Samsonova. It, it it really is fascinating and yeah, just it, it it's almost like they all need to sort of talk to each other and say, How do you um I'll tell you how to beat her if you can just give me the codes how to beat her. But of course, like they're not gonna do that.
2: <laughs> um the results this week in Beijing mean that the Cancun WCA Finals lineup is set. Vondroshova and Mukova have qualified. Uh, Maria Sachary is first alternate. I do wonder if Sakharie, whether from the start or whether coming in midway through, will end up playing because I am not sure if Vondroshova is fit with that knee. Maybe she'll give it a go because it's... You know, it's such a big deal for it to qualify for Cancun and all the rest of it. But um, I sus- I'd be surprised, put it that way, if uh, we don't end up seeing some of Maria Zachary. But um, the top eight is Shvontek, Sabalenka, Rabakinagov, Pagula, Jabur, Vondrosheva, Mukova.
1: It's a great lineup, isn't it? We've got all the. It is a great lineup. Like everyone there, apart from Pagula, I think, has reached the Grand Slam final this year.
2: Mm, it's a great lineup. I am I am pumped. I am pumped for the WTA Finals.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing.
0: Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life, and of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
2: On to the ATP event in Beijing, which of course finished days ago. Uh, <laughs> I've, I mean... Yeah, anyway, see everything we said last week about the um, discombobulated nature of tennis at the moment. But it was won by Yannick Sinner. 7-5, uh, 7-6, over Carlos Alcaraz in the semifinals and then seven six seven six over Daniel Medvedev in the final, thus proving uh, everything we said up to this point of the podcast about match-ups being everything in tennis to be utter trash because up until whenever it was, Wednesday... Uh, I thought Yannick Sinner had an incurable Daniel Medvedev problem, and it turns out turns out he he doesn't, or he never did, or he did and he
0: has cured it. W- which of those is it, David? Well, I would think that Igor Świątek might say, "Well, it's just it's just the one." you've got the one that you're going to win for a bit, and then I'm going to go and win the rest of them. And Daniel Medvedev's probably thinking that as well. Um, but I don't know. I, I found it quite interesting that Sinner, after he beat Alcaraz, who has he has an interesting head-to-head against as well because he has the better of that rivalry at the moment. I mean, he, he had it put to him. You know, you've you've lost six out of six against Medvedev. And he said, well, I am. there are a couple of things I'm going to try. Um, now I I asked Matt could could you identify what those things were because I didn't get to watch that that match as it went out and I mean Matt couldn't really put a finger on exactly what it was I mean he just seemed to be playing really well and he was going lights like out I mean and if you consider that Sinner what he was being sick in a. Been in one match, um, and then in another match against Dan Evans, he was hobbling around with cramp, and he was, and Evans was mimicking him because he didn't like the way he was doing it, and then hitting absolutely blistering winners seconds later. Um, he's he went for it, and he's playing bloody well. And I think he shouldn't have a problem playing against Anna Medvedev. I don't think I don't, I don't think he should be winning them all, but I don't think he should be losing them all either. He's he should be able to win some of them. And so, to me, this is a correction that should happen. Um, I'm, I'm I am interested to see future matches for them, um, but I but I do think it's quite a big deal for Sinner, This uh, quite a breakthrough.
2: Interesting, David, that you. You think it's such a breakthrough because this is not the biggest title of his career. It's not. It's not the biggest title of his season. He's one in one thousand this season. He, other than Medvedev, you know, he's beaten Alcaraz before. You know, for most players, beating Alcaraz is an enormous deal. It would be a big coming of age. But for Sinner, it's kind of like, yeah, mate, you've really, you've really got a rivalry going with, uh, with the famous Carlos Alcaraz. So why, and adding to that the fact that we, we quite often put an asterisk next to results at this point of the season, just in terms of what they mean for the future, why Why do you see this as such a big deal? Because it's not new stuff for Sinner.
0: Well, because I think his main problem has been in his own head and winning the biggest matches on a big showcase stage where all eyes are on him and his opponent and nobody else and that <laughs> we, we we've been talking about the the struggles with some of the crowds and there have been some poor crowds in some matches and we got an email from tournament director Lars Graf with a, a listener of ours who heard that and sent us a picture of the absolutely packed house for our crowds against Sinner and and the one in the final um I think that him winning that match in an occasion like that where it's absolutely packed and Al Kraz is going to want to be winning Medvedev we know is going to be wanting to win and Sinner has taken it from them is is quite a big moment um i i take the point end of year stuff um and and i i can't guarantee that this will be a difference maker it just feels like something different to me because he's beaten them back to back Djokovic aside, they're the two best players in the world and he's done it in front of a full house where I think I would have probably expected him to lose both matches and he's just gone and wrestled it away from them both. Um, so, And they're both straight sets. I think it's quite, quite a big deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I absolutely take all of the caveats about this time of year and really trying to find meaning in, in this time of year is you know it's a fool's game probably really but I was watching those Yannick Sinner matches this week with my jaw wide open I thought he was phenomenally good against both Alcaraz and Medvedev and it was it was very difficult for me to then say oh well it's you know it's it's October tennis he, he just seemed so good and there did seem a as, as David's saying a almost a a calmness to him because I do think, I do think that Medvedev lopsided head to head has, has been a lot about Sinner being in his own head in, in that matchup. That matchup to me is not a Svantec-Goff situation. That is a match that Yannick Sinner probably should be winning a lot of the time. And he, he stepped up in the big moments against Medvedev, played two phenomenal tie breaks, absolutely stunning. And Having having the record against Carlos Alcaraz that he's got is such a feather in his cap compared to everyone else. Like I would back, I think it's easier for Yannick Sinner to improve his head to head against all the other players. You know, he's got losing head to head against Tsitsipas, Ruņa, Zverev, Medvedev. You know, I think it's easier for him to correct that than it is for a lot of players to be able to figure out what on earth they have to do against Carlos Alcaraz. He's he's done the hard thing, I think, already, in that he matches up well with Alcaraz and he can, he can make Alcaraz malfunction a bit by the way he rushes him and he can just turn it into a total, almost just feels like a hitting contest from the baseline and Alcaraz isn't able to use slug all fest, of his... Turns into slugfest, doesn't he? Yeah, and Alcaraz isn't able to use his incredible speed and his incredible variety. It's just sort of back and forth hitting and sinner is phenomenally good at that and i think the more he grows the better he gets the more he goes deep in tournaments i think he will figure out his head to head against the other players that i've just mentioned there but i don't think a lot of those players will be able to figure out carlos alcaraz so i think long term it's great for sinner that he's that he's able to cope with alcaraz and you know the emphasis now is and it's not like he dominates that head to head it's close but the emphasis now is on Alcaraz to try and figure out Sinner. And I just think that's really, really interesting. And there was little stuff he did, like coming forward a little bit more against Medvedev. Like I don't, it wasn't all the time and I still don't think it's a natural part of his game. But there were little signs of it, which I, th- I thought he did really well. Yeah, he was he was just brilliant this week. And I think what David said, doing it back to back, successive matches, you know, that and Alcaraz was as tough as it got in that tournament and he beat them in consecutive days. It was just just really impressive. And yeah, tough to make big sweeping assessments, as we always say at this time of year, but it does feel like something's improved and changed with Yannick Sinner this week. I was really impressed.
2: Yeah, it, th- those were really good points. And I guess the fact that he has done it before, one titles, one bigger titles than this, makes it easier to not put the asterisk next to this result because of the timing in the season. You know, when Felix Auger Eliasine went on his tear at this time in the season last year, will that that's the anomaly at the moment in his career isn't it him doing that then yes he broke his title darken and, and he was unreal, but it was all indoor it was all at a certain level of tournament at a certain time of the year when everybody else is is running on fumes that is the ultimate kind of asterisky set of results he may he may very well yet go on to 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 carry that form into to elsewhere produce it elsewhere but at the moment that kind of stands alone but for sinner this this Adds to the the feathers already in his cap, and I agree. I was I was so so impressed, and I guess I have I've been a little bit high, less high on Yannick Sinner than some other people, just because I feel a bit scarred by certain performances. I was scarred by I was there for his performance against Medvedev in the Miami final, and I, I I was a bit scarred by that. I was scarred by his performance against Djokovic at at Wimbledon, and those those performances really stick in my mind and make me think. God how can a player as good as you sort of play look that that impotent I suppose but he certainly didn't look that this week I was so so impressed and I agree I feel it uh, it could be a big result although apparently maybe anyone can beat Carlos Alcaraz Stan Evans currently 3-1 First set, four oh, <laughs> down. Maybe Al- maybe <laughs> do is just there there for the taking. <laughs> well, let's ju- look. I haven't haven't been watching the match, David, because I've been recording a podcast. But I'm willing to bet that Evans hasn't made this a
0: slugfest. No, you're right. He hasn't. Uh, no, it's all been guile and get in. <laughs> <laughs> L- lovely. <laughs>
2: what a great what a great new slogan for Dan Evans' style of play. Uh, incidentally, Yannickson is win in Beijing means he has achieved his goal for the year. He's qualified for Turin. Um, and that's that's great news for, for that event, which when it launched in that part of the world, I think everybody just assumed that it would have Berrettini and Sinner kind of every year, pretty much, that Italian representation would be a given. And it didn't have it last year and it was a great event, but it, it missed it. I think, and and specifically Turin Yannick Sinner. We've seen that guy, and that was my favourite Yannick Sinner when he came in as alternate a couple of years ago. Like, he turned into a hype man. It was like Kyle Edmund at Labour Cup. Um, so I am excited to see ATP Finals... Yannick Sinner in Italy again I think that's I think that's great news for everybody congratulations Yannick on achieving your 2023 goal Um, just before we get into a status update on Shanghai another result to wrap up that we should have done last week I think but I'm actually as much as it wasn't planned no (laughs) hadn't it hadn't finished oh great (laughs) of course not sorry Astana uh, was won by Adrian Manorino. He beat Sebastian Corda in the final and in lieu of finding anything to say about Adrian Manorino, I just want to point everybody in the direction of Gary Nathan's piece this week in Racket magazine about Adrian Manorino. And I just I just love the fact that there's somebody out there writing whole articles about Adrian Manorino uh, and it's definitive and it's called what is Adrian Manorino doing? <laughs> what is and he it's, doing? It, it's fantastic.
1: <laughs> Which is basically what Francis Tiafoe said about him at the US Open, wasn't mm. it, when they played that, uh, I think it was four-set match, and he was like, what is this guy doing on the court? And <laughs> and, and I should say, I do remember a few weeks ago when uh, when Manorino, who is having an incredible year, you know, he's won he's won a few titles and... To be doing what he's doing, he seems to be getting better, which is pretty he's impressive, really. He's having the
2: best season of his career at 35. He is. 35.
1: Yeah, which is incredibly, incredibly impressive. And, and he ties players up in knots. I mean, he, I, I actually watched him this morning get absolutely blown away by Andre Rublev in, in Shanghai. Rublev apologised to him at the net for saying, I'm sorry, I played so well. <laughs> which was a very Andre Rublev thing to do. Um, <laughs> but... We got a lot of emails. I mean we do often get a lot of emails, but we got a lot of emails from Adrian Manorino fans and defenders. They are out there. They are there's a lot of people out there who who appreciate Look, my the dad's got a lot of game. burner
2: accounts, Matt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cameraman Matt Matthew is a big Manorino fan. Like Yeah, he's quirky. And it he's is, look, it and is... I'm pleased I'm pleased that there are players who can who can sort of thrive playing in that weird game style that he does and Gary Nathan's piece points out that he the he he adapted his game because of an injury and you know when he was much younger that's why he plays with the sort of really condensed strokes that he does i, I didn't know that until reading that piece and uh, yeah he's 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 probably not for everyone but he is for some people
2: <laughs> mm yeah I, he must be the um inspo for Quarantan Mute who's trying to totally adapt his whole game as a result of injury Quentin Mute is trying to transition to only underarm serving I don't know if you're aware of that David uh, I, I have that's heard that. something that's
0: happening mm, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued uh, I've had my Maxime Cressy <laughs> year of following somebody who only wants to serve and volley so now this is the next the next in storm and that let's be honest hasn't gone especially well so let's see how Quentin gets on
2: do you remember when Maxime Cressy hit it hit a double foot fault?
0: <laughs> yes, against
1: um, wasn't that against Runa at the Australian <laughs> Open this year? It very was very funny. That wasn't was. the
0: same tournament in which he told us he was going to be world number one, was it? It there was. A, a it was twelve apart. months. It was a year later. on. Okay. Mm. Yeah, he he yeah.
1: he celebrated that anniversary with a double foot fault.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: So Sebastian Corda reaches the final in Astana, only to be Manorino'd. It, it happens to the best of us. And then beats Daniel Medvedev in Shanghai, 7-6, 6-2. So back to the theme of the week. Does Medvedev have a Sebastian Korda problem? And David, I'll defer to you on this because you are the guy that saw that Corda was going to beat Medvedev at the Australian Open this year about a point and a half into the match so you obviously saw something <laughs> I mean you obviously saw that Corder was was playing really well and he does have very seductive stroke production when he's on doesn't he it looks it looks lovely um, but you obviously saw something in that matchup, I
0: think, and I'm I think,
2: guessing that you're continuing to see that. Well
0: that, that, that is what it is Catherine I think it's when Corder is on and he can look two very different players when he's on and when he's not. Some some players don't look that different when they're on their absolute best form. Like I can't really tell the difference between Andre Rublev playing the best match of his life and playing a normal match. They, I think that they both look more or less the same. Ex you know, I, I really David am is struggling. Is not a Rublev guy. Is he? I, I like. I like the man. I don't wanna I don't wanna go watch him, really. And um that's just me. That that I'm not trying to be mean or unkind or anything. That, I just I'm just not into watching Andre Rublev matches particularly. Um despite the fact that I think he's an, he's a great fellow. Spent
2: a year watching Maxime Cressy double foot fault but he, he won't watch Andre Rublev for, for love nor money I
0: did give up my experiment quite quickly I have to be honest with you of watching every Maxine Cressy match but anyway with with Corder I think you you see somebody so balanced and capable of hitting both forehand and backhand with such intent and destructive poise he's got he's got aggression and ferocity and poise all at the same time when he's really playing well. And I sometimes think well how'd you how would you get the ball past him? And the, he was kind of doing to Medvedev what Medvedev does to everybody else, but he was doing it with aggression and just turning his power back on himself and with instantly I thought well how does Medvedev beat this guy if this guy carries on playing like this? The th- the truth is qu- quite a lot of the time Corda doesn't play like that. And he'll have injuries and setbacks, but he'll also sometimes really lose his form and and start to look really quite unstable. And 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 so I can't I I can't get my head around why that happens as such. It doesn't feel like so much should be going wrong as it does. Um, but yeah, I I think when Korda plays well, I don't give Medvedev much chance.
1: Medvedev was uh, unhappy with the speed of the court. In Shanghai, oh, we were back. Bombshell. we were back to that uh, sort of mm. narrative again. He, did, about he how did point slow out, it look,
2: I, he did point out, look, I, I reached the NJL's final, and that was that was awful court speed wise. He's he was sort of like, I can play on, uh, yeah, inferior and, courts, but and,
1: and and then, um, and then Taylor Fritz sort of came up with a with a correction to him on on Twitter, and he said, "No, it's not the court that's different this year; it's the balls, and that's why it's that's why it's playing slower." It's very a tennis player chat. Mm.
2: God, that's so Nadal, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's the balls. Um, other interesting things that have happened in Shanghai so far, other than Dan Evans still being a breakup on on Carlos in Alcaraz, a
0: thirteen minute game. Mm. And
1: I can give you an update that Nicholas Jerry's just beaten Lorenzo Sonigo. I can, I can, I can change channel now and put Alcaraz on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've also, Matt, quite high up in the um, the Shanghai section of our agenda. Put a Fabian Marajan update in. <laughs> you've put his <laughs> well, back. Me. <laughs> As if everybody's been wondering where he's been. Well, he uh, I'm quite curious Ar- where he's been now. He's, been, he's beaten Arta Rindeknesh, uh, Alex de menor and Dusan Lajevic and now plays Kasper Rude.
1: Mm. Fabian Marajan, of course, the guy who who pops up and stunningly beat Carlos Alcres in Rome earlier this year, drop-shotting him off the court and just generally being great and then has has absolutely not back that up since uh yeah i just i just found it amusing that he's 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 winning again and yeah honestly if he if the way he played against Alcraz was incredible like if he if he brings that level rude will uh rude will have his hands full
0: if if if
1: yes
2: (laughs) does not exist uh ben shelton will play yannick sinner in round four yes please shelton having beat Roman Safiulin, who for a period of a few days there looked like the best player in the world. I mean, what a what a ball striker he is! It's such a gorgeous, clean hit. He's one, He's he's another curiosity, isn't he? He was a top junior, and has just really taken his time to transition to seniors. Um, and he he still doesn't seem to have been able to do it consistently. And sorry to make sort of Russian generalisations, but he's a bit Karatsev-like, isn't he? And he occasionally pops up, looks just sumptuous, and then disappears for a bit. Fabian Marjan' style.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he he was fantastic against Zverev the other day. I mean, I think Zverev's probably hit the wall. He play, He's played so much tennis recently. But he was made to look ordinary against Sifulin, who, as you say, has got a lovely ball strike, plus... Angles, drop shots, volleys—he was getting into the net a lot and and winning. It was six three six one, I think, that match. And then he went a set up on Shelton, and I, I went. I saw the results at the end and went back to try to find the breaks of serve that Shelton got against him in sets two and three because I was curious. Well, how has he beaten this guy? Because Cepellin looks so good. And part of it was Shelton suddenly igniting and just hitting him off the court and getting energised the way he does when he's really on it and also Sifulin just missing terribly suddenly went through a little spells of missing loads and Shelton in classic sort of Pete Sampras style just getting the break and then holding um, I, I, I was really impressed with Shelton
2: First time he's won back to back matches not at a Grand Slam I believe <laughs> <Amazing>. Ben Shelton <laughs> <laughs> And he's done that twice um, uh, Yes he, what, uh,
0: amazing, amazing results, really, Shelton. It. it slams.
2: Zheng Zizhen has become the first Chinese player to reach the fourth round of Shanghai in the event's history. This coming off the back of him winning gold at the Asian Games. He's beaten Michel Gasquet, Thomas Martinez-Chaveri, and Brandon Nakashima. Nakashima having just absolutely taken Holger Runa to the cleaner uh, cleaners earlier in the week. Love and two, or two and love for, for Nakashima over Runa, who just needs to stop and take a break. Um, I, I just think that the decisions he's making are boneheaded at the moment, and it's worrying me about Holgeruna. Um, speak, speaking vaguely of which, uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas gave an interview to Tennis TV this week. Quote, my dad is here to stay. I have no intention of ever pushing him away. Mark Philippoussis is not part of the team anymore. I wanted to try with a coach and see how that might work. It was a little bit off tune in many ways and not having the presence of my dad there felt like I was sort of losing part of my identity as a tennis player. I wasn't able to adjust to the new form or ways of teaching or methods that were applied by Mark, who I admired and liked watching a lot on TV when I was younger. Um, (laughs) uh, Could I have a reaction to that Please, from someone.
1: I almost feel like there'll be casual listeners of the tennis podcast who've maybe missed a few episodes. And the last episode they listened to, it was of is all in on on Mark Philippoussis. Like it's happened, it's happened so quickly. This, which I is probably the thing that stands out to me the most. Like, you, I just think you've got to give coaching setups ups and partnerships more more time than that. Um but what he's saying there is you know it's it's interesting insight actually. I thought it was a it was you know, he was pretty pretty open in that in that interview. Um but that's just it, isn't it? His his identity as a tennis player is tied to his dad. And that is something that I don't think is ever going to change. He's 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 laid that out there. And it's just a question of whether he can revert. He, the thing about Sitsipas, it feels like he needs to go back to what he had, and I think that's that's such a hard thing to do. And I felt like Philip. I don't think
2: he can now because right. what he had was so linked to his youth and newness.
1: Right. I don't and think
2: that's. But you, you can't. You can. You can't go home again.
1: So, so bringing Philipusis on board was a way of sort of maybe trying to. Push him out from that and sort of take him into the future and move on as a tennis player. And
2: mm.
1: what he's saying there is sort of like it's it's just it's just going to be hard for him to do that. It's it's pretty it's pretty worrying. I think that that that, that, that there doesn't seem to be room within that setup for a, for another voice.
2: Mm. I feel sorry for Sitsapass. I, I, you know, just. For him as a human being, go and figure out who you are. Like, take the tennis out of it. You need to figure out who you are without your dad there and your mum all the time. Who are you as a tennis player? Who are you as a person? And that's... (sighs) uh, Yeah, I I feel really sorry for him. I'm sure it is unbelievably hard. He shouldn't be the one having... Like, his, his, his parents should be the ones taking the lead um i think but
0: it sounds like he doesn't want the change really i mean it sounds like he wants to be what he was and be just with his dad i mean i wouldn't advise that personally and i thought philipusis was a good idea and i still do and i would have given that time but in terms of trying to go back to what you were and getting the results you had in the past, well, that's what the setup was when he had those results. Personally, I don't think you can go back in time and just recreate because of your age and because your experiences and the the you mm. will we often talk about, um, the newness, as you've, you've referenced. But then I think Caroline Wozniaki kept trying little stints with coaches and always going back to her dad. And... That overall, I think, worked for her. I don't personally think... I think we probably have seen the best of Stefanos um overall. Um, up to him to prove that wrong. And, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he can. But it doesn't seem like he has the makeup to, to go in a different direction to this. I think that's that's what this experiment has probably proved. Maybe maybe he'll change his mind again in in two months' time. But it's, uh, it's not going very well at the moment.
2: Uh, some other news from the tennis world this week. Tennis Australia announced, John McEnroe voice, out of nowhere, that the Australian Open is becoming a 15-day event starting on Sunday. Uh, just like the French Open, they've said, with data showing matches are now longer – The move to a Sunday start is designed to help alleviate the pressure on late night finishes for both the players and the fans. We've listened to feedback from the players and the fans and are excited to deliver a solution to minimise late finishes while continuing to provide a fair and equitable schedule on the stadium courts. The additional day will achieve this, benefiting scheduling for fans and players alike. The first round will now be played over three days instead of two, also giving fans an extra day of unbelievable tennis, entertainment, food and family fun. Every year, our team works hard to bring fans an event that feels new and exciting. (coughs) The Sunday start increases the number of AO sessions in the three arenas from 47 to 52. The day session at Rod Laver Arena and Margaret Court Arena will feature a minimum of two matches down from three to limit the potential of late-night finishes. Night sessions will continue to feature a minimum of two matches and the John Kane Arena schedule also remains the same. Um, My take on this is sort of fine. Um, I see why it makes total sense to want to introduce an extra... Well, an extra day full stop, but in particular, an extra weekend day to your event um, to boost revenues, especially at a post-COVID time uh, when there have been hard hits and there are losses to recoup. I kind of think, fair enough. Uh, I don't like the pretense that this is for late night scheduling reasons because I don't think it solves that problem really at all i'd be very surprised if it does and i don't think that's the real reason behind it and i think i think the real reason behind it is fine but i don't think it's scheduling
0: i think it's revenue yeah i think that's the main reason too um i think the it it, it helps the first three days i think when uh, they can put it over more time and i think maybe it'll take away the absolute extremes of the late night finishes. I don't think we would be as likely to get an Andy Murray four in the morning situation, just because I think that they will have a bit more space to play with. Um, But generally speaking, uh, with two matches in the evening session, if that evening session isn't starting earlier, I don't see that it'll bring things forward that much.
1: That's it. That's the point. If the, if the evening session is still starting at seven o'clock and you've still got two matches from seven, all you're doing with this new schedule is making it pretty much guaranteed that the night session will at least start on time. Because you've only got two matches to get through before the start of the night session rather than three. So that you know, you should start your night session at, at seven o'clock every time, no problem. But if you've then got two matches and one of them is a five setter that goes, you know, five hours and you've then got a best of three set match you're still absolutely absolutely looking at finishing in the early morning i'm i'm fascinated to know whether they bring the start of the night session forward because that to me would be a way of um yes trying to alleviate and take away some late night finishes but otherwise i don't see what changes really in terms of that late-night session. But I agree, you know, an, an extra day of Grand Sam Tennis, Roland Garros has showed that it works. I'm all in on that. I think that's great. But I need more information to be convinced about the night session stuff.
2: I also think um, an unintended consequence of this looks like it's going to be less women's tennis on the Rod Laver Arena because I've gone back through the schedules and generally speaking, with the th- three-day session matches, it would be two women's and one men's because uh, two men's and one one women's is sort of a guaranteed recipe for starting the uh, the night session late. Um, so uh, it, that it, by and large, it's going to be the, the extra women's match in the day session that, that gets the shove. Now, I expect it still to be equal in terms of match numbers on Rod Laverine. It'll be a men's and a women's in each session. But that doesn't mean equal in terms of time, uh, because women's le- matches are shorter than men's. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't, you know, just wanted to point that out. Uh, Tennis Australia also released their plans for the United Cup in January, uh, which of course starts in December. <laughs> Uh, starts on December 29th and runs to January 7th ties will be reduced to two singles matches one for women one for men and one mixed rather than the two singles each for men and women uh, and the ties will take place over just uh, one session rather than over two sessions or, or, or two days in some cases uh host cities have been reduced from three to two just sydney and perth the idea is a shorter format shorter event better for players better for fans better for broadcast and i think those all sound like good reforms moving far more towards the Hot Mon- hotmon cup format and that's good i think
0: yeah i i'd agree with that i think I can't entirely remember what we said at the time, but I think that that's what was kind of bothering us about what is actually a really cool event, a cool format. Um, Men and women together. Those were the elements that were making it a bit long winded and kind of unwieldy in a way that I think this should solve.
2: Yep, absolutely. So... This week in tennis, there's more Shanghai, of course. Dan Evans held for 4 1. What's the score now, David?
0: Uh, I believe it's now they- been broken. Uh, so, oh, okay. It- <laughs> all
2: that effort in the sort of 20 minute game yes Uh, so more of that match more of Shanghai Shanghai. the WTA are in Zhengzhou for a 500 event Caroline Garcia Maria Sakharie Ludmilla Samsonova Barbora Kocikova Donovekic Daria Kazikina, uh Veronica Kudomitova all playing there. There's also WTA events in Seoul and Hong Kong. Seoul headlined by Pagula and Ostapenko. Hong Kong has Azarenka and Haddad Maia. And we'll be back next Monday to wrap up all of that for you. At which point, I think, tennis will be back on track in terms yeah. of schedule. All finals will have been played at the weekend will be vaguely Can't in sync. Wait. Cannot wait. Uh, we have a mascot for this episode. You're trying to kill me with this, Matt, aren't you? We have Coco, the one-eyed wonder, owned by Heather and Jodie. Coco was adopted with her brother, brother Byron a little over a year ago. She was born with one eye but that doesn't limit her joy of watching her namesake coco goff slay on the tennis court she's super cuddly and a little mischievous she likes to sneak into her wait for it her dog sister billy jean's bed when no one is looking
0: oh.
2: i'd like a i'd like a picture of that please heather and jodie i would like coco and billy jean the other Billy Jean no the other other Billy Jean uh, in in bed together uh, but I'm looking at a picture of Coco the cat with Coco Goff. excellent photography work Heather and Jodie by the way um, and she's she's gorgeous she's absolutely lovely it does look like she's winking at me <laughs> which I imagine is how Heather and Jodie feel all the time <laughs> uh, but yes thank you very much uh, Heather and Jody and thank you to Coco we have our mascots David's got Maisie I've got Zenya and uh Zenya we we totally shot ourselves in the foot this week because we did win points with Yegishvontec but in the process of predicting Igor Shvontek, uh we also disclosed the fact that we didn't actually think Yegishvontec was going to win the tournament and called into question the entire system of of nominating predictions so uh, I've, <laughs> we've got the points. It's a hollow victory. The, yeah, the points, but not the, uh, the dignity, Xenia. <laughs> Matt has got Darwin, who, neither dignity nor points. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Ilana Kloss. We have, of course, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. They're our top folks and executive producers. And Matt, we have shout outs.
1: We have Spencer Grider. In Salt Lake City, Utah.
2: Whoa. Right, Spencer. Hello, Spencer. Uh, Salt Lake City, home of the uh, Olympics a while ago.
0: Yeah, and Utah, home of the jazz basketball team that I used to watch in the 90s. The
2: Utah Jazz, yes.
1: Yes. And and all I have for Spencer is... uh, Spencer Matthews, who was who was on our row at the British Podcast Awards, who we had to he who we had to walk past to go and collect our award.
2: Who's he? He had a lot of he had a lot of hair, didn't
1: he? <laughs> He's I would I think you would call him a TV personality. I
2: I believe he was from <laughs> originally from Made in Chelsea.
1: Okay, yeah, David. I and don't watch that. Lots yeah. of other things.
2: All right, Spencer. Great way of mentioning the podcast awards again, mm. Matt.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to try and do that every week, I think. Just think <laughs> of a think of a subtle way to keep bringing it up.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Spencer.
1: We've also got Jacob Telfer, who is in London.
2: Right, Jacob. Hello, Jacob. Telfer is a bit like Telford, which is near Shrewsbury where we're going next week for our live show. Tickets available. <laughs> Very good. Link in the show link in the show notes. <laughs>
0: splendid i don't know any jacob tennis players this isn't going particularly well
1: well jacob has helped us out by saying he'd, he'd also like to give a shout out to his fiance and fellow friend of the pod uh ursula like ursula radwanska
0: oh very oh, good
1: very
2: good mm. that's superb thank you jacob you've you've done us a solid there and hi ursula and hi ursula yeah thank you to both
1: And finally, we've got Catherine Leap-Lazar, who is from the Washington DC area, but currently living in Queens, New York. Hi, Catherine. All
2: the tennis places and names.
1: Yes, this is a same church, different pew situation. And Catherine would like to give a shout out to her mum, Carolyn, who is also a friend and who celebrated her 60th birthday on October the 5th.
2: Oh. Happy birthday, Carolyn. Love that. Happy birthday, Carolyn. Seeing as we're doing birthdays, could I also say happy birthday to Rosie?
0: Yes, you can. Happy birthday, Rosie.
2: She's she's 11 today, or 77 in dog years. Uh, yes thank you Catherine great name obviously Uh, thank you Carolyn hello to Carolyn happy birthday Carolyn and thank you to all of our shout outs if you'd like to get a shout out the link to do that is in our show notes by becoming a friend of the tennis podcast there's also the competition to win tickets to the Billie Jean King Cup finals that is open to friends of the tennis podcast by subscribing to the Friends newsletter which of course you've done that haven't you why wouldn't you have done that uh, if you'd like to subscribe to the regular newsletter the link to do that is in our show notes Matt Matt does great work every week and uh, I highly recommend it tell your friends, leave us an Apple podcast review and listen to us next week when we'll be back with more tennis chat we'll speak to you then